All right, if you would, let's go ahead and go to Revelation chapter 5 once again tonight. Revelation chapter 5, and we'll be looking specifically tonight at verses 6 and 7. Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. And we're going to continue with the same theme of and subject of worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Uh, look with me at verses 6 and 7. The Bible says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. As I mentioned last week, Revelation 5 and this vision that John is conveying to us conveys one very clear and needed need to be understood message. That everything that God has for men is found in the Lamb. Not only is it found in the Lamb, but it's provided by the Lamb. It's revealed through the Lamb, and all things shall be brought to pass through the Lamb. In other words, all things lead us to the praise of the Lamb of God, the spotless Lamb, the Lamb of God that we think about, the Lamb of God that we have sang about tonight, the spotless Lamb of God. Everything that God gives to sinners, He gives to us through Jesus Christ. Without Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, there would be uh, no hope. There would be no uh, possibility of our redemption. But we also need to understand that with this Lamb, that everything that we receive through Christ, and everything and everyone that God receives from sinners must come through the Lamb. In chapter 4, of course, we saw... Uh, John speaking of the sovereign majesty of the throne itself. And he spoke about the majesty of the triune God in creation. How God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit as the creators. In chapter 5, that vision that John is having now tells us and shows us the triune God and the sovereign majesty in the redemption of sinners. The throne that we see in Revelation 5, of course, is the same throne we saw in Revelation 4. But John is sharing with us from a different perspective of now, here's where we see redemption. Here's where we see the redemption of sinners by Christ Jesus. I gave you just a very brief outline last week, breaking this chapter up into two real headings. Verses 1 through 5 simply is a scroll or a book sealed in the hand of God. So in verses 1 through 5, we're told about a scroll. We're told about a book. We're told that that book is sealed, and it is sealed with seven seals. And of course, we left off last week that there was none to open the book. There was none who was worthy. And how John, in verse number 4, begins to weep because no man who is worthy to open the book and to read from the book could be found. But then in that beautiful passage in verse 5, one of the elders spoke unto John and said, John, weep not. 
because there is one who is worthy. He described him as the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And he says he's prevailed, he's conquered, he's overcome. To open the book, and not only to open it, but to loose the seals, those seven seals that keep that book closed. And so it is in verse 6 that we come to the second heading that really goes down through the end of the chapter, where we now see the scroll, or this book, to be unsealed and opened by the hand of Christ, the Redeemer. A scroll, or the book, to be unsealed and opened by the hand of Christ, the Redeemer. In the vision, of course, what does John see? Well, we see, first of all, what we did expect. We see the throne. But based upon verse 5, we're expecting that what John is going to say in verse 6 is that he sees a lion. But that's not what he says. Instead of saying, I see a lion, he says, I beheld and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders, instead he sees a lamb. Now it's quite interesting that He's described as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's described as the root of David. Our expectation is is that John's going to say, I saw a lion. But rather he sees a lamb. Of course, we know that when we see the word lamb in Scripture with reference to Christ, we know that that is talking about Christ in his suffering. It's speaking of Christ not only in his suffering, but also in his sacrificial death. He is described as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. But in his suffering and in his death, we see the characteristics not only of a lamb, but we also do see the characteristics of a lion. It is truthful and biblical to say that Jesus Christ is truly a lion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he's also the real lamb. He is the spotless lamb of God. He is the fulfillment of the lamb that was pictured in the Old Testament. As a lamb, Genesis, or Isaiah 53 teaches us, as a lamb, he was led to the slaughter. He was led to be sacrificed. He was wounded for our transgressions. Like sheep, we have all gone astray. We've all gone our own way. And it was this lamb that was slain for the sins of his people. But what makes this even more interesting is not only does he, does he describe him as a lamb that is standing, and this next phrase is so important, as it had been slain. John saw the lamb, but he sees the lamb as a lamb that had been slain. So our first heading deals with the first part of verse 6, and it's that very thought. John saw the lamb standing as it had been slain. The lamb is being described by the form in which he appears. Again, the form of a lamb. Not just any lamb, but a lamb as it had been slain. A lamb as it had been slaughtered. The slain lamb, remember, the elder tells John in verse 5 not to weep, because the lion of Judah is worthy to open this book. But when John now looks, instead of seeing that lion, he sees a slain lamb. We're reminded that it is in weakness that power is exhibited. 
The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church at Corinth, made mention of power is perfected in weakness, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. It is Jesus Christ going to the cross in weakness that the power of salvation was accomplished, the power for the forgiveness of sins, the redemption of the sinner, the satisfaction of the divine demands of the Father come through weakness. And yet, it is also the Lamb, the slain Lamb, that brings reconciliation for the sinner with God the Father. You see, Jesus Christ, in order to reconcile sinful man to a perfectly holy and righteous God, he had to suffer and he had to die. We're reminded back in the Gospel according to Mark, Mark 8 verse 31 tells us about this this necessity it says that he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again this lamb had to be slain this lamb could not just simply be a lamb it had to be a slain lamb Christ, of course, we know, is the lion that conquers Satan. But he's the lamb that satisfies the justice of God. It's important to keep a line of distinguish between those two. He is in the conquering of Satan, he's the lion. But in the satisfaction of the demands of a holy God, he is the lamb. He appears... As a lamb that was slain. Now most every commentator agrees. I found very few that disagree with this. That the vision that John was seeing. Again was a vision. Is that because the indication is that as a lamb that was slain. There's all reason to believe that he was appearing with the marks of suffering upon his body. Now we don't fully understand all these mysteries. But as a lamb that was slain, bearing in his body the actual marks of suffering. To show that he indeed is interceding in heaven. He is interceding at the throne of God because of the suffering, because of what he endured. Because he was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. He is the intercessor and he bears in his body the marks of a suffering and ultimately slain lamb. I came across this late this afternoon and I was I was so taken by the description that uh, John Gill gives in his commentary on this. Uh, for those of you that know Gill, uh, Gill is very descriptive. Um, he writes in a way that is just, to me, it's just amazing. It's amazing how he frames it, how he leads our minds to consider and I do want to read this to you because he he really describes this lamb as it was slain and here's how he describes it he says Christ had been really slain by the wicked hands of the Jews and not in appearance only and not just in the likeness of but in reality and in truth but now Christ is risen from the dead. 
and therefore is said to have been slain some time before, though now alive, and he appeared to have the marks of his sufferings and death upon him, as he had after his resurrection the print of the nails and spear in his hands, feet, and side. He was as a lamb that had been newly or lately slain. And it may denote the continued efficacy of his blood to cleanse from all sin and of his sacrifice to take it away. He was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world. With respect to the continual virtue of his blood and sacrifice, and he will be on the same account the lamb as it had been slain unto the end of the world. The position and situation of this lamb, he stood, and I love what he said here, he stood in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders. He stood being risen from the dead and ascended up into heaven, but was not as yet set down upon the throne with his father, but was very near it. He stood before it, ready to be placed upon it and receive his power in his kingdom. He stood between the throne and between the living creatures and the elders, being the mediator between God and his church and people. He appeared before the throne for them as their advocate and stood ready to give them all the assistance and to do them all the good he could. And this, his situation may also denote that he is continually in view is always in the sight of God as the lamb that had been slain. His blood is carried within the veil, is sprinkled upon the mercy seat, and is always in sight and calls for peace and pardon, and God the Father always looks upon it and to his righteousness, sacrifice, and satisfaction on account of his people. Moreover, his being in the midst of the four living creatures and elders signifies his presence in his churches and with his ministers, which he has promised them to the end of the world. It's a beautiful depiction. It's a beautiful description of our Lord. I think we often forget one of the most beautiful descriptions of our Lord is as a lamb, a lamb that was slain. That lamb that's described as being led to the slaughter in Isaiah 53, at being led to the slaughter, not because of any wickedness in himself, but because of the wickedness of you and I. You see, the world looks upon it and says, what kind of a religion is it that finds peace and satisfaction and joy in a slain lamb? It is the doctrine of the only God. That the slain lamb is a picture of satisfaction. He's a picture of that which is only acceptable to God. Who God the Father always has his eye upon. So John sees this lamb standing. As had been slain. But then he goes on in the second part of verse 6. And says John saw the lamb as having seven horns and seven eyes. Again remember this is a vision. This is an illustration. I'm not aware of a lamb that has seven horns and seven eyes that has ever existed, but that's the way he's described. But this is a description more about his, the lamb is described by his standing. 
What is his position before the Father? What is his position in the, the, the economy of redemption? Well, the Lamb stands, of course, as being slaughtered. When we think about his standing before the Father, Christ, the Lamb's death, has abiding, eternal value. In other words, his death was not just effectual for a moment in time, but it is an effective shedding of blood that is valuable for all of eternity. In John 1.29, remember John the Baptist as he is announcing as the forerunner of our Lord. He announces him as the Lamb of God. He says, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. To take away the sin of the world means to atone for sin so that the sinner is actually forgiven. He takes away. Who takes away? The Lamb of God takes away the sin from the sinner. In Acts chapter number 8, in the beautiful account of the story between Philip and the eunuch, in Acts chapter number 8, beginning in verse 29, we see that the Spirit says unto Philip, Go near, join thyself to this chariot. Philip runs thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? What's fascinating here is what the eunuch was reading was Isaiah 53. And notice he answers Philip saying in verse 31, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb come before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet? In other words, the eunuch says, who is Isaiah talking about? Of himself or some other man? Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture. Now, this, is, this is wonderful. At the same scripture, what scripture? Isaiah 53. And preached unto him Jesus. He preached Jesus from Isaiah 53. Jesus' name appears nowhere in Isaiah 53, only as that suffering servant, that prophet, that man who would come would be the fulfillment. He would be the lamb that led to the slaughter. Upon understanding the eunuch, we see as they're going on their way in 36 of Acts, they came unto a water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And said, if thou believe with all thine heart mayest, and he said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And of course, he reads, ties him as the eunuch believed that Jesus Christ is in fact the Son of God. So the Lamb was slain, had seven horns, the eyes, we're going to describe that here in a moment, we're continuing to allow his death 
and his blood as a biting eternal value. Uh, look over to First Peter chapter one, verse eighteen through twenty. Peter one, verses eighteen twenty one. Peter, of course, finding the Jews and Gentiles alike who were scattered, reminds them of where their mission comes from. First one, verse eighteen. He says, for as you know that you are redeemed with horrible things as and gold, your vain conversation received by mission from others, with the precious blood of Christ. And here's the word again. As of a lamb without and spot, who verily was came before the founder of the world, but was best in these times for you. Who, by that's Christ, even God and raise him dead and give him glory that your faith and hope be God. There's absolutely no hope of a lamb that was slain. Jesus is that that name. This our Lord Jesus is described on now in our having seven indicating power and a represent our authority we'll on where we stand in the Old Testament where we come to that he has horns indicate our authority he has seven which that he is with Holy Spirit first of all the horns the horns in the mental horn is used symbol strength one of the classics from that is 18 to Writes the my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, rock in whom refuge, my and the whole my salvation, my strong. The whole is a of and what psalmist confident to that the rock, my deliverer, I can take my shield, he believed. And the authority—that's what the represent. Verse seven, Scripture presents the completion. So, what can about the lamb was slain is that he is perfect in power. And this is what John hears: the lamb slain, the perfect power and authority to carry. Of God's number, weeping, no man to open the. Here, proofs by Jesus is worth the sin. He has the power, the authority to do so. He has wisdom, understand, and out. Now, eyes, the time we've particularly. And we've on our step passage all the way back in one produced spirits, one jump seven church, the age race be peace is as come from the spirit are here. 
this is a revelation of the church. Right? You can say the seven God. Who is he? Seven that who was it? So seven a reference in Christ all in four. So what can we say about the slain lamb? The slain lamb is not only has perfect power to carry out with authority all of God's will, but he's also filled or anointed by the Holy Spirit to serve as the only redeemer of mankind. These are declarations about who Jesus Christ is and how that Christ is the only redeemer. He is the only one with the power. He's the only one with the authority. He's the only one who is worthy to open the books. He's received the Holy Spirit in all perfection, in perfect light, in perfect life, perfect power, and able to ultimately rule, which the Bible tells us, that all things will be put under his feet. So John sees the lamb that was standing as he had been slain. He sees the lamb, secondly, having seven horns and seven eyes. And thirdly, we see John saw the lamb of God take the scroll. Verse 7, And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Now this is hard to imagine. 
it's hard to put in our minds and try to visualize what's happening here, but here we see the lamb being described by his actions. The taking of the scroll. What's happening here? Is this just something for our scripture so that we sound like a good story? No, the symbolism here and the reality of what's happening, this is what we would refer to as an act of coronation. It's the act of the passing on of a title or a role into another individual or another person. It's a coronation ceremony that's taking place. We see the Bible says that the lamb takes the book out of the right hand of he who is seated upon the throne. Who is seated upon the throne is the Father. Remember, Jesus Christ is not seated on that throne at this point. He's standing near it. But what we're seeing happen here is we're seeing the lamb that was slain taking the scroll from the right hand of the one of the throne. Remember, this is all a symbolic vision. But what we're seeing here before our eyes is the perfect harmony. And don't miss this. The perfect harmony between the will of the Father and the will of the Son. And you say, where do you get that? Because we find nowhere... Is that scroll taken violently? Is it taken deceptively? It is taken voluntarily. It's taking, it is taken willfully. And it's taken obediently in obedience to the covenant that was made between the Father and the Son before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ would be the Redeemer of all mankind. This is a fulfillment of of what had already been promised and what had already been prophesied. And what we're seeing now is the very coronation of that covenant. The lamb comes and takes the scroll out of the hand of him who was seated upon the throne, clearly indicating that Christ as mediator at his ascension Receive the authority to rule the universe according to God's eternal decree. He's going to take that scroll. Now in this coronation of the ascended Christ, we see certainly Christ being crowned with glory and with honor. Hebrews 2 tells us that as a reward for Christ's redemptive work, upon his ascending to heaven, he would receive the kingdom for himself. Go back to Hebrews chapter 2. We see the description of this. Hebrews 2 verses 8 and 9. And then we're going to turn over to Philippians. But Hebrews 2 verses 8 and 9. Tell us about this very event. Thou hast put. Well let's go back to verse. Let's go back to verse 7. Thou madest him. A little lower than the angels, thou crownest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. That he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. 
For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. The lamb is that mediator. He is to be crowned with glory and honor because of what he has done in redemption. Philippians chapter 2 verses 6 through 11, the apostle Paul touches on this subject uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Talking about Christ, of course, again, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now notice this next word. Because of this, wherefore, or as a result of this obedient work, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This coronation ceremony, if you will, was predicted and is spelled out in Scripture, and it was promised that one day this coronation would take place where all would be given to the Son. This is what we're starting to see happen as we study Revelation. We're seeing prophecy continue to be fulfilled. But then we have an interesting Old Testament prophecy that's in Daniel chapter 7. Now, of course, you know that Daniel and Ezekiel are often the two other passages, are books that are referenced to as being most filled with prophecies. Uh, of course, most people say the most prophetic book is Revelation. But Ezekiel and Daniel, of course, are books that are filled with prophecies, especially prophecies dealing with who is coming and the reality of of Christ. Uh, Daniel 7, verse 9. And Daniel writes, I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days is a title of divinity. It refers to God's eternity and also His divinity. The point here is talks about earthly kingdoms will come and go. But Christ's kingdom or God's kingdom is forever. And he says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down and the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. I beheld then, because of the voice of the great words which the horn spake, I beheld even till the beast was slain, and his body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As concerning the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Now watch this. 
And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. There is the handing off between the ancient of days, which is a reference to God the Father, to the Son of Man. And that as a result of that, everything is being given to him. What a beautiful picture this is. Just as it was predicted. Now what this does not mean in Revelation chapter number 5, back there as we'll finish here. What this does not mean, it does not mean that at any point, at any time, that God the Father leaves the throne. That's an important point that you need to keep in mind. This is not Christ removing the Father. The Father remains on that throne. But it does mean that Christ, and we see this fulfilled in Scripture, as the mediator is seated upon the throne with the Father. Now we know today that's where Christ is. He is at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession. Until the day comes when He is told to go and get His bride. That's where He is today. Jesus Christ is not in the world today in the sense of a spirit or bodily. There's an old hymn that says, I know that Jesus is in the world today. Jesus technically is not in the world today. The spirit is, which testifies of Jesus. But Jesus is at the same place he's been. He's at the right hand of the Father. There is not a removal of the Father. Now you say that, I'm telling you that very carefully because there is some bad doctrine out there that says that God just switches forms. That He goes from being the Father, the same God goes from being the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It is three persons. The Trinity is the three in one. These are all distinct persons. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Jesus Christ is not replacing the Father on the throne. He's not kicking His Father off the throne. They are together. Very important that we get that and get that point driven deep into our hearts. But from this moment on, the throne of God and of the Lamb, God is governing the universe. Remember we said the very throne is the center of everything. God is governing the universe through the Lamb. He's governing through the Lamb. All things have been given unto Him. It doesn't mean that God the Father is now subordinate to the Son. All things are being governed through the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb. It is part of what the agreement was before the foundation of the world, that this was not only the reward of Christ's obedience, but this is the greatest comfort we can find, is the very Lamb that was slain for our sin, who takes away our sin, is He who is the world is governed through that's why we don't worry about the governments of this world that's why you should not be caught up and worried and concerned about who occupies Pennsylvania Avenue that's why you should not be worried about who resides in places of authority God sets up kingdoms and he brings them down and just like read in Daniel ancient of days early kingdoms come and early kingdoms go but the kingdom of our God is eternal. 
And for all of eternity, it's going to be governed through the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb. It's not just some clear day to get people riled up and emotional in a worship-type service. This is sound doctrine. This Lamb is where everything comes through. It's the Lamb that was prophesied in the Old Testament. The pictures and the shadows and the types. Remember, it was the blood of a spotless lamb. In the book of Exodus, the Israelites were told to put the blood on the doorpost and on the lintels. If that blood was there, that blood had from a spotless lamb that the angel would pass over those homes. Any home that didn't have the blood applied, the firstborn was taken. And of course, his own son, the death angel, took him. Passover. Why did God pass over? Because he saw the blood of the Lamb. That was prophecy for exactly what was going to happen years later. Christ would come. Well, folks, I hope, we, hope we're getting this. Because the beauty of what's happened here is our comfort. It is the very thing we find our and we find comfort in and it tells us to go all the way to the end of the revelation and read one it says and he gave me a pure river water of life where is crystal listen to what it says proceed out of the throne God and of the lamb it will never be mentioned as a throne of God without the being mentioned in the midst of the and on either side of the river were the tree of life, which bear twelve manner of fruits, and bear fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the, for the nations. Listening, there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And his servant shall serve him. They shall see face, and his name shall be in their forehead. There shall be no night, and they candle near the sun for the Lord give light and they shall reign for and ever and he said unto me sayings are faithful true and the Lord the holy prophet his angel to show his servants things which shortly done behold I quickly lest it is he with the sons of the book Christ is the lamb. He's described by not his act and so described by he who takes the out of the right hand of him. And I cannot stress enough. Jesus Christ did not book by violence. He did take it by fraud. He did not by deception. The reason he was able to take the book is because the elder said to John in five, he prevailed to open the book. The reason he was take the book, the book is he obediently went us hide his blood. That is the right authority to book out of the of the Father. You say, Pastor, and it's not. Are fraud. 
and not exception. Yet some doctrine teach exact that to make their line up that Jesus got the rights by some violence. Such thing. He pervades his righteousness. By the and there's a point where this was for the founding of the cup. God the as we said, gives takes delight Pharisee six. I do do will. I find one in the beauty it's beauty of the same will and for us to delight it delight suffering the cross like He's the not only as to the what that salvation, but also to respond duration for our sin. Through that was through battery, passion through him. I advise can name one day we're going to. Before of God, all because Christ, Christ, worth, worth. We what he the book is hand short the greatest and and doc. And or we'll look at the next twist. Rise, my.